even in Stephen Sondheim's passing, remember going to a shoot with him and thinking like, I can't believe I'm standing here. Like, this is crazy. And there are so many stories like that. You know, whatever you're doing, it just sort of becomes part of your day to day. The years right. at Rolling Stone was like, yeah, this is just what I do. You're not thinking about. But then when you look back, you're like, well, that was a really cool part of my life, wasn't it? Hello, and welcome to Design Adjacent, the podcast that explores the nexus of design, both today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Benny F. Johnson, and today our special guest is none other than Gail Anderson, scholar, designer. Scholar. <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> but it's so true. Chair of BFA Design and Advertising and SBA, and has been director of the Visual Arts Press. She has served as art director for Rolling Stone, creative director and designer to Boston Globe Sunday Magazine and Vintage Books. She's taught at SVA and really shaped young and emerging minds for the last 30 years. She's Ugh, authored 15 years. books. 15 books makes you a scholar, my friend. <laughs> On design, typography, and illustration with the great Stephen Heller as well. That's a scholar. Yeah, he's the scholar, yeah. I will agree with you on that. I'm one. just a sidekick. So <laughs> you're, you're, you're so much more. And as you'll see today, we're going to have a great fun conversation. Anderson also served on the Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee for the U.S. Postal Service and the advisory boards for Poster House and the One Club for Creativity. She is a distinguished AIGA medalist. Yay! Yes. And a recipient of the Cooper Hewitt. Smithsonian's Lifetime Achievement Award for Design. Her work is represented in the Library of Congress, in the Milton Glaser Archives, and in the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, NAMAC. I'm glad to welcome Gail to our podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's wonderful to, to be able to sit down and and have a conversation about you, your work, and about our thoughts on the future as we think about design and its impact. For our audience who are listening, I'd love to give a little bit about what first brought you to design. Hmm. I loved to draw as a kid. Right. I loved Spec and 16 magazines. I okay. loved the Jackson 5 and made scrapbooks. I have one here that's falling apart, and there's one at the museum in D.C. Uh, that didn't fall apart, my Michael Jackson scrapbook, of right. course. I loved making stuff, and my high school art teacher told me about a school, SVA School of Visual Arts, that she was taking night classes at, at the time in silkscreen and calligraphy, and it encouraged me to pursue a career in design. And Thanks to her, I did. And yeah, I just, I liked making things. And I, I wanted to work at Spec or 16 magazines. Right. Those were what I loved as a kid. And of course, those weren't around anymore as an adult. But ironically, when I worked at Rolling Stone, it was at the same address where those magazines. Wow. Then 745 Fifth Avenue. When I started, I was like, wait, this address. It's like, oh, it's the same address as Spec and 16. So... My, I come full circle. So early so. in your career, it seems like there's this connection between design and music. Definitely design and entertainment in okay. general, but yeah, yeah, music. 
both be yeah, music ba- again based on Elton John and right. you know all, all the stuff I liked as as a little kid, the Partridge Family and uh, the Osmond Brothers, but definitely the Jackson Five, particularly so I, Michael. I'll ask you the question: Who was yes. your second favorite Jackson? Well, it's easy to say Jermaine because that would make sense, but I had kind of had a thing for Marlon. I didn't expect you to give me Marlon. Marlon, yeah. Not Jackie, not Tito, Marlon, who has ended up being the most handsome of the Jacksons. So. We'll make sure he knows. Yeah, please pass that on. So. We'll pass that on. So one of the things that, that I'm always curious about as we kind of go through our professional journey is what brings us to the interests. But then when was the moment that you really felt you were a designer? Mm. That you moved from kind of exploring the things you love to do to waking up that day and saying, you know, I'm a designer. When I started working at Random House, when I graduated, when I would hang around Louise Feely's office in the evening as she worked on designing wine labels and all of the fancy book covers that she did and really getting to know her there after work in the evening and hearing about what she was working on and what she wanted to do. That it's like, this is really cool. And I, I, I had amazing instructors. I had Paul right. Scher as my portfolio teacher and, and all these, uh, Karen Goldberg, uh, just right. all these great people. But it, it, in some ways, it was being in the first job, right. sitting there and watching somebody as brilliant as, as Louise doing stuff um, and the people who worked with her, but really her. I was like, oh my goodness, you're, you're kind of amazing, aren't you? So... That's a long time ago. That's 84, 85. Yeah. And I was like, this is what I do for a living. Like, and right. maybe I can be as good as her one day. Uh, or, but at least we work for the same company. We work down the hall from each other. That's, that seemed good enough for me. So, uh, yeah. It's kind of that powerful moment of, of being able to live and touch and engage with with those who, who you see. I, I had a, we were talking before about a friend of mine and professor Floyd Coleman, who, who taught art history and was a scholar. And he would always talk about being able to pick your ancestors and being able to pick the people around you that mm-hmm. influence how you think and, and how you grow as a professional. And it sounds like having that space of, of being in the room and having that, that input helped to shape your early career and who you grew into as a designer. Absolutely. Having, having these tremendous mentors who were so patient and wonderful and willing to invest the time in, in a designer who didn't have the technical skills that certainly some of my other classmates had. I didn't have the, the amazing hand skills when, when that was the a thing. Focus, right. Yeah. Yeah, I learned to do a mechanical. I learned to get good at stuff, but I had to learn to to do that right. in ways that I think maybe others it, it was it sort of came more naturally, or or they were able to intern when they were in school, and get a foot in the door a little quicker. I worked at a nursing home uh, when I was in school, so I didn't didn't have the glamorous in school experience that others did because I couldn't afford to intern for free, which was right. what was sort of the the norm at the time. So how did that experience shape your own role as, as a teacher? And you're kind of thinking about, you know, your experience growing up and studying and then working in a field in a profession that wasn't directly aligned, but 
how did that shape your view of, of what your students were going through over the years? It certainly makes me root for the underdog more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it makes me look at the people in the middle who need the extra encouragement. Right. And need the boost and need the extra time. And it's not like projecting myself into every kid I see, but I want to make sure that those folks don't get left behind. Right. Um, that they've got as many opportunities as the folks who have a bit of an easier ride. So. Right. I think, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is just the power and beauty of design as a profession, but the ways in which we can all work to open the aperture a bit so that everyone has an opportunity to participate in the profession. And it's interesting speaking about having a space for people to grow who may not have the same path that's been laid out for them to be able to grow and find a space and find their way in design. What, what advice do you give to students today that are, are thinking about jumping into the profession, but may not have come from an environment in which they're designers in their family or to the left or right of them? When I meet families now, meet parents at events, it's my job to encourage them to let their kid pursue this path, that there are success stories. And I guess I'm kind of one of them, that this works. And it's all about working really hard. And it's not even being the best, it's just being really committed, willing to help, open to learning. It's about, about not giving up, it's about working hard. And that if this is something your child really wants, right. go, let them go for it. That it's not like commercial art in the 70s when I was in high school or the early mm-hmm. 80s at mm-hmm. SBA. That it's like, it was still a little fuzzy. Like, what do we do at the end of all this? Right. Now it's like, you, what your kid wants to do is really valued. And there's a place for them. And what they do is really necessary. And so let, let them go for it. And they'll be okay. You know, they won't be living with you forever. They're they're going to make money and get out of the house. So, and they're like, really, really? (laughs) She's really going to leave? So (laughs) maybe not right away, but eventually. So, but you know, to your point, that's so important because, you know, many of the conversations I've had with design leaders and we think about our own individual past, there's always that moment with your family and, and convincing them that you're doing something that's different from what they may have experienced Mm -hmm. and that you're going to be okay. Having that reinforcement, I think is powerful, especially when we look at audiences and, you know, new designers who are coming from communities and families that design may not have been present. That art may not have been present at all. Absolutely. I was so lucky that my folks were like, well, this is what you want to do. And it's like, yeah, you think you'll make money? Like, yeah, I think so. And in I wanted to go to to art school and not regular four-year liberal arts school, and they went along with it. I was really lucky that it wasn't, well, we want you to do this first. Or, right. I think they were just happy we for my brother and sister and myself that we were going to college. So it was like, okay, this is good enough. This will work. Yeah, this but, works. You know, in the end, I remember when I had my first job, the, the random house job, I was making so little. And I remember my dad was like, wait, what? So uh, 
like, you really will be here forever. It's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. Like, please have faith, have faith. And they did. And I'm so lucky they did. When you think about your career and the spaces you've been in, both for-profit, media, education, nonprofit, what are some of the takeaways you, you give for students of color coming in the same, hmm. same background, the same paths? Well, I never saw myself there. It was a very small pool of talent that right. was uh, people of color when I was in school. And I think times are changing for the better on that front and we're paying more attention and we need to get more educators involved, more people of color teaching, right? more designers saying, I'll take a few hours from work or I'll come here in the evening and teach. I, I want the students to see all kinds of people in the classroom and for a student of color to see a black instructor standing there. Right. Uh, brown instructor, whatever. It's really right. powerful. And I, I never gave it any thought because I never expected it. Right. Because it just wasn't a, it's like, okay, it's just, you know, it never occurred to me that there would be a black instructor standing there because they're just, there never were. There weren't in high school. There weren't in grammar school. There were so why would there be in college? In black designer? What? Right. So now students expect better, expect more. And we have to, we have to create these classrooms that, that you're seeing all kinds of representation, not just from the students, uh, right. which we're also working on, but from the faculty. So if a faculty and then yeah. that impacts the points of view and, and the work that we see. Absolutely. And who's coming in. You know, and isn't it a more interesting environment to be in an office or a school or whatever, where you've got all different kinds of people? You know, certainly in the years that I've been around, SVA and seen the changes, I've met kids from all over the world and places I hadn't even heard of before, you know? And I love that my worldview has expanded and that I've met all these people. My team and I, we constantly talk about this statement that great ideas come from everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's really kind of the way in which we show up in the world and we approach our team members, those in our community and around us. And just really refreshing space to say, to look for the opportunity that great ideas come from everywhere. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've been really excited about for us in the past two years in the pandemic is the expansion of our global engagement and membership at AIGA. Mm. By doing podcasts or more virtual content, we've kind of opened up the barrier. And yep. I love when our conversations start up and we see hello, I'm shouting out from Israel. I'm shouting out from right. Thailand. I'm shouting out from South Africa. It's been incredibly refreshing because this moment has created opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was up safe for the year and a half and mm -hmm. I attended things while right. I was making dinner. Right. I'd sit in on something from Letterform Archive or right. and it's like, this is great. Like I never did that before because I was too busy and or I was too lazy or it's right. like, I don't want to walk all the way over there. I just want to go home. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go over to TDC tonight, even though it'd be really nice to see everyone. Or I don't want to go to IGA. And I was just tuning in. And it's like, this is great. And tuning in. And it's funny we say that because we, we had 
all the, especially for those who had proximity, right? We, we had all the right reasons that we could attend, but we wouldn't attend. Mm -hmm. right? And then thinking of the window that's open and the ability to record, we, we make all of our uh, activities available. So at any time you can pick up and dial in and the comments and feedback we've seen have been incredible, but people are really embracing a truly global profession mm -hmm. with ideas that are, that are flowing. We're seeing that one of the things that you've been active in and we really appreciate has been your role in helping us judge and shape our AIJ 50 books, 50 covers <laughs> competition. I think we're going to see some influx of more global competition applications. Just my guess. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Judging, uh, I did it a few years ago up at Yale and it was wonderful to have all the books in my hand and, right. and you know, it's like, I won't take this home, put it in my bag. But it was, it was actually just as cool to sit there and look on my own time, right. you know, in a way that you can't if you're in a space for a finite period. So it's like, okay, I'm watching TV. Let me, let me look at some of these books tonight. So the way we judge is right. changing. Because if any of you have judged before, you know that the second day of judging, you're like, ooh, you know, or by the end of the day, you're looking at things differently than you are at the beginning. And doing it this way virtually sort of more fair in a way because you're like okay I've, I've got an hour of energy let me do some work i've got an hour here let me do some, some more work, right you're not worn down by the end of looking at everything so right, right the focus I, I love that yeah i do have this question so you've been able to serve as a judge in over multiple time spots what surprises you the most in the entries of this past past year or so i mean this this sounds so flaky but mm -hmm. how consistently good everything is mm. how the bar is so high right. for books that people know like this is this is the big one so i'm really just going to enter top greatest hits like the best of the best of the best and so when you're looking you're like damn all this is good like there's not a lot of clunkers there's, right. it's all beautifully crafted yeah the bar is high well one of the things that i i just thought about a lot in this past year in the space is how much we all kind of move closer to our books over the mm -hmm. last year, you know, where, where there was just this appreciation for the books. I thought about when we announced the winners, just how much attention it received this year, like looking at the winners and the books, both high quality, but the fact that we all curled up a little closer to our books this past year. Yes, this is true. Now, when we think about, this is one of the spaces when I talk to my friends and colleagues who aren't really in the design space, where these are the interfaces where they can acknowledge and see design's impact. But I look at the impact that designers and designers growing on the world, where do you see the future impact going for design as we think about the world around us or social impact? As we've had these conversations, more people are identifying, they realize that they've been a part of design. They've been positively impacted. Mm -hmm. They've been moved. They weren't aware of it, you know, five years ago, 10, 20 years ago. I mean, I see students really wanting to be part of making change. Right. And really thinking about sustainability and stuff that didn't occur to me at all at mm -hmm. that age, that I just want to make cool stuff. And right, right. I want to make magazine the books and maybe some posters, but I want to make beautiful things. And it never occurred to me that the things that I made could have an impact or right. 
could help people make better decisions or or make their lives easier. I didn't think I could have anything to do with accessibility or just no, I just made cool stuff. So we we get to be part of the conversation. We get to have a big old comfy seat at the table in a way now and moving forward, there's value in what we do um, that just again, never occurred to the 20 year old version of me. Right. How has this impacted your teaching practice when you think about this, about what may be available for your students to, to impact? I wish I was them in some ways. I'm glad I'm not in other ways, but it's just like you guys, like we moved it this far and I'm moving my hand here, but we moved it a little bit and now like, boom, this is yours and let's see what you do. Yeah, your parents are still going to say, like, did you paint the cover of the magazine? And you're like, no, like there's still a little bit of that, but that I grew up with, but but not as much, you know? Yeah, they can do anything. To me, it still fascinates me that like a designer can make it move. You know, I can make that move, make that logo spin around or, and that's just little baby steps. That's little tiny old people stuff that I'm thinking about, but the stuff that they can do, oh man. So I'm like, just jump in, take a zillion courses, keep looking around, but also get off your computer, go outside, go into the real world and live. Don't just live on Pinterest and TikTok and whatever else. Go, go live. You know, I want to focus on that for a second, because that's a really powerful point about living and, and looking and building. Right? We were talking earlier about the world around you as you look out your window. Mm-hmm. At City MD. Yeah. <laughs> to see who's on the line. I can tell you how many people there are right now. So, Right. But it was, it was fun watching you kind of talk through this space and creating the stories and narratives and thinking about the world around you and how much that's an important skill for what we do in design, in thinking about what's happening and building the narratives. Mm-hmm. When you look at, at the students who are coming in and their shape, what are the questions you wish they ask? Wow. What are the questions wish they asked me. I've never thought about that. That's what we uh, do here on Design Adjacent. We have fun. We ask the <laughs> questions. kind of adjacent there, isn't it? it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are the things you, you uh, wish that... It's funny because now when they're coming back, as we're getting people to come back to, to the city, I want them to ask me about the city a little bit. Right. And what they should be doing, what's, what's out there. Because again, I'm part of me, like I want them to work really hard and all that. But I also say, get off your phone, look up, right. go out there. Don't just focus on Brooklyn, you know, or a piece of Manhattan. Like go get on the train, go around, go places. If you can drive, rent a car at some point, like go get the big picture here. Yeah, I think, and again, because I was so focused and driven and probably scared, um, mm-hmm. but just like, just busy, 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 busy. Yeah. I didn't do that enough until well into middle age of, mm-hmm. of doing stuff, of seeing the world a bit and stepping back. And these kids are certainly more well-traveled than I have ever been for the most part. But it's like, okay, well, now you're here. I want you to see more than 23rd Street. I want you to do more than go shopping. I want you to have some adventures. Right. Don't get in trouble. Don't make me have to bail you out, but, but go... But, but go, go but do stuff. Have adventures, right? Yeah. But I guess, you know, who, what 18 year old is going to ask me what they should be doing when I think about it? If I'm old, they're not going to, like, I'll say, go to bed, you know, <laughs> turn on the television. So, 
but I hope they're asking each other. I'm going to smile a bit because I was going to say they may explore what's happening in theater because I, I think about the role you played in, in working you know, with, you're right. Some of them do like the theater. I like, and they've seen a bunch of shows. So, and you've had an incredible portfolio of bringing those stories to life through the theater poster. Yeah. Talk a bit about that, that exploration, that part of your career. That was such an, such an adventure. After Rolling Stone, I was like, well, what do I do now? I've already had the most amazing mag- magazine job ever and worked with the best art director ever. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't want to, I have to do something else for a while. Right. And when the opportunity came up to work with Drew Hodges at Spotco, who was one of my classmates, and I thought, is it going to be weird working for a classmate? And he was like, why? I was like, okay, I guess you're the boss. So it doesn't seem weird to you, but, but in the end it wasn't. And it was, it was such a, a huge change from what I'd done. And I realized like I needed a kick in the ass and to have to learn something new. And I'm doing that again now in this, in this job as, as chair of learning something new again. The theater stuff though, was this little tiny insular world. Everybody knew each other, a lot mm. of hugs and kisses. Mm-hmm. And it took a while to get comfortable and to feel accepted and part of the club in right. ways. But I, I knew theater and I have a good pop culture frame of reference. So it felt comfortable. And what fun, what, right. what a thrill to get to do stuff that you walk down the street and see, you see on a theater and to get to go to all these shows around the world and, and so many shows on Broadway right. and things that I remember going to a few shows. It's like, I never would have thought of going to this on my own and how life-changing theater can mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to walk out at 11 o'clock, like, well, that was amazing to have these experiences that move you or, or, or make you tap your toes or whatever. Right. I, I was too cheap to put money into buying theater tickets unless it was going to TKTS or something right. and learned like, oh no, I want this to remain part of my life. And, wow. and s- just to meet all the amazing people I worked with, to be in the presence of greatness. Even in Stephen Sondheim's passing, remember going to a shoot hmm. um, with him and thinking like, I can't believe I'm standing here. Right. You know, like, this is crazy. And there are so many stories like that. And it, you know, whatever you're doing, it just sort of becomes part of your day to day. The years right. at, at Rolling Stone was like, yeah, this is just what I do. You're not thinking about. But then when you look back, you're like, well, that was a really cool part of my life, wasn't it? Right. So. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask a question, which we know the answer to. But the theater experience, it made you a better designer. Yeah. Didn't it? Yeah. 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 I had to learn how to defend the work, Mm. whether it was mine or the work that we were all doing together in the department. I had to learn to present, which I didn't really do that well before. I didn't really have to. How to take criticism that was sometimes brutal, Mm. uh, how to listen to people's changes, to do things over and over and over sometimes, and accept that sometimes your seventh or eighth or ninth idea is better than the first one that you thought was pretty good. Right. Yeah. To do things in multiple, which I know designers, we don't like to do. You think, okay, this is it. Here's one or two. But it was a good experience for those years of doing many, many and, and encouraging people I worked with, try it like this. Let's try it another way to keep people's morale up when right. 
we were on the 99th version of something. But yeah, it was kind of brutal at times, mm-hmm. but it was really fun. And Drew made sure that it was always fun and that we were always treated really well. We went on trips every year. Like we all went to Little Dick's and by St. John's. Like we did something every year as That's a group. Cool. Stayed in the little hut. Right. And, and so those little, you know, they had wine 30 at 5.30 on Fridays, usually when I was teaching, so I wasn't there for that. But like they had just those little moments of like, okay, we're going to drink this wine today and stuff that I guess you don't get to do in an office anymore. But Right. What was the first production in the work that you felt like you found your voice as a designer? Moving from Rolling Stones to Broadway, what was the first one where you felt, okay, this is my voice in this Broadway context? I know for Rolling Stone, there was something I came in one Saturday and worked on or, or one Sunday, because I just needed the time by myself to sit there. And when I, sh- I remember showing it to Fred on Monday, and he was like, when did you do this? I said, well, I came in yesterday. And he was just like, you came in yesterday? And I was like, well, yeah. And I remember he was like all starry-eyed, like, you came in on your own time to work, like, oh, <laughs> like, I love you. And then again at Spot working on the Rolling Stone thing was the Howard Finster thing, I remember. And it's okay. not very good, but in, in the moment, then it was like, like, oh, you know. And, and another uh, Living Color okay. thing. There were, a couple, there were a couple of, oh, and uh, Siggy Marley, uh, I think. Oh, nice. Yeah, there were, a couple, there were just a couple of little moments of these little breakthroughs and a Tom Hanks, uh, Mr. Big, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And, Mm-hmm. But these are, these are like early nineties that we're talking about of just stuff that's like, just, yeah, trying extra hard and, and having the person I respected say, well, good job, you know, like good for you and good for us. And I was like, oh, oh. and then at, at Spot, I remember doing one of the f- two shows, Harlem Song and Man of La Mancha, two of the early, early things, mm-hmm. probably the first things. And seeing that coming home on the one train at 28th Street at 23rd at 20, like I just kept seeing it. I would get off the train and I would look at the two sheet and I get back on and then I get off again at 18th street. And I hadn't been so excited about something in so many years. And it was so cool to have that feeling again, you know, of seeing the big, big color ad in the times for Man of La Mancha, I think. And uh, I'm like, wow, I worked on that. And like, it's on a marquee and here it is in this big times ad. And it's like those moments are so wonderful. And then after a while, it just becomes what you do and you're just looking for mistakes. But for the kind of those early, for the early push. successes that maybe aren't the best thing you've ever done, but in the moment we're like, ah, so that's such a great feeling. And now I, now I get to experience it in a different way. Sometimes with stuff that I, I get to work on, I'll see something uh, on the street that I worked on or something and smile. But now I see it with the students, you know, and that's really cool. Seeing it in your students when they come there. So we talk a lot about what we as educators pass on to our students. Well, I'm curious, what's some of the things you've learned recently from your students in watching them this past year or so? Hmm. They were more resilient than I would have given them credit Mm. for, Mm -hmm. you know? They stuck with it last year. We scrambled, certainly. March 2020, that that last semester. But for last fall through the spring, they really rallied and was mostly cameras on, engagement, good portfolios at the end. And we talked to kids who were 
all the roommates went back to wherever and the kids by themselves in the apartment and like, oh, and you're still doing your work and good for you. And like, let's keep in touch. Let's check in to make sure that that you're okay because you're literally by yourself. Right. That's really hard. So yeah, so I've been been really impressed by how focused they were through through the worst of it. And my sophomore class uh, that I have on Tuesday mornings, we went to Poster House yesterday. Okay. And I still have that class remotely since I still have students in other countries. And it's a very, it's half the sophomores one semester and then the other half the other. And so some of them, not all of them, who were here showed up to meet at Poster House and look at the Pushpin show. And and it was so nice to meet them because I hadn't met them, you know, this year. And we met and I know them from Zoom, from Little Boxes. And as we start to spend more time together again, it's going to be great. I was chair for a semester and a half before things fell apart. So I'm hoping that as things are being put back together, that this will be a really fun job, you know? I think it will be. I I listened to your passion and excitement and I know it can't help but be fun as you push it forward. So when we, when we turn this corner, we're going into 2022. What are you most excited about? What am I most excited about? Huh? I am excited about getting back out in the world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I was starting to get to a point in my life where I was like, okay, I'm going to go out and do stuff. I want to travel more right. and see, see the world, not just when I go to do a talk and then tack a day on or something, but actually go and have a few adventures. Right. And it's going to take me a while to kind of get that going again, because it's easy for me to fall into the well, I'm really busy and I got stuff to do and I don't have time for that. But I need to create that time to do stuff, to, to take a trip, to kick back a little bit. It was interesting for me to be out of the city for so long. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered what that would be like because I'd never done that before. Right. Um, and would I be really bored even if I was busy? Would it be weird being so far away and things that aren't open and being in a whole different environment than lower Manhattan. And I realized like, I'm fine. Like I was fine. Right. <laughs> so with the exception of like bears and all this old wildlife <laughs> and sort of like, ah, yeah, power outages and all that kind of stuff. Snow, lots of shoveling. But it's like, okay, I I need to, to find more pleasure uh, right. and more downtime and give myself that space to just kind of, just relax every now and then and not watch TV relax, but like relax and I don't know, look at stuff or at least be moving and not sedentary. Well, I'm going to accept your challenge and I'm going to be intentional and make sure in the new year, I'm going to come up to New York and you and I, my friend are going to hang out and we're going to, I want to see New York through Gail Anderson's eyes. (laughs) So we're going to have adventure together. I'll take you to a show. I want the New York story through your eyes and being able huh. to see as, as we, as we talk about. So that's our challenge for 2022. Right. And we're going to get back together and then tell everybody about it. Oh, that's funny. so dull. Hey, you know, dull is a thing too. We're, we're going well, to, we're going to enjoy your here. <laughs> yeah. Then we're going to sit there. So No, no, never that. We're going to take a cab because it's too far to walk. As I said, New York, the New York City story through your eyes is wonderful as we think about 
in your career and starting off in loving art and loving drawing, do you ever pause and just take it all in of you know, what a wonderful career you have and still are having? Not really, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of hitting a milestone age-wise right. and uh, yet another milestone. We won't tell anybody. Well, <laughs> yeah, this is a big one. So this is so, yeah, I think I am. I'm thinking about the future in ways, in a different way than I used to. I'm thinking final resting place future at this point. But uh, again, I'm thinking about like, well, how I want to have some fun now, you know? Right. Yeah. So when you come up, we're going to, yeah, I have to figure out what to do that's fun. We, it's we, not going to be an educational experience. It's just going to be fun. That's exactly what I asked for. Okay. <laughs> we're going to have fun. You know, we'll decide if we share it with everyone else. Let's we'll let you all <laughs> It'll be Gail and Benny taking over New York. Yeah, right. We'll have fun of that space. So when you think about the future of design, what makes you most optimistic? Again, I think that what we do is valued. Right. What we do, a young person can do well financially. So hopefully more people will want to do what we're doing. So, And again, the families will say, yes, it's okay for my baby to, to go to art school because they're going to be fine. I feel like we're, in my old age, I feel like we're leaving it in good hands now that young people have really good intentions and a desire to do good. So it's really nice to see that. So again, now I'll be there shaking a stick, just giving them a hard time. Um, Don't make noise. I'm trying to sleep. Uh, But just like, (laughs) okay, you said you were going to do this. Like, come on, now you got to do it. So I feel like we're, we're turning over the keys to, to some good people. That said, I'm not giving them up quite that easy, so easily. So nice. I, I intend to still be actively doing stuff. Looking at the, we're putting together a Milton show that's up down in the lobby. And right. it's like Milton was doing it for the last minute. And I right. want to be doing that too. Doing something. I don't know what, but doing something right up till the last breath. I think that's a, a powerful way for us to close our conversation. Just, oh, just, yeah, I, yeah, I know it. I can't believe we can still talk forever. <laughs> My goodness, yes, it's time to go. <laughs> I got to go back to looking at at the city MD line to see who's did, who's which, going in for a, all, a test. All the reason why we're going to do this again. And okay, Gail, you can come Gail, up and we can look at the line together. We can the line so. together. Gail and Benny take over New York. Yeah, twenty two. <laughs> One city MD at a time. There <laughs> so. we go. But it's been a delight to just be able to spend time. And Same here. Same here. In, in space. And I thank everybody for joining in on our conversation with Gail Anderson, who I still say scholar, teacher, scholar. adventurer. Adventurer. Yes. Okay. Adventurer. That's the goal. By the next time we talk, I will have gone somewhere. Champion, I will have done something. Yes. Champion of the future. Yeah. And design optimist. Design optimist. I, I'm, I'm safe. I'm keeping that one. Yeah. You, okay. That, that is my gift to you, my friend. Thank you. So, thank you. And you've been a gift to all of us. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, Gail, for joining me on this episode of Design Adjacent. Thank you all for listening in and join us next time as we look at the power of design, both today and tomorrow. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Design Adjacent, a podcast about the nexus of design today and tomorrow. Show notes for this episode will be available on AIGA.org. Please subscribe to our show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. AIGA's Design Adjacent Podcasts and its contents are the copyright of AIGA, the Professional Association for Design. All rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited without AIGA's express written permission. My name is Li Shan Huang. Until next time.